Well, last week we started we started talking about wisdom, and we started talking about Solomon and his wisdom and the books that Solomon wrote. So we're gonna we're gonna look at the book of Ecclesiastes today. So if you have your Bible with you, turn. Uh, it's basically almost in the middle of your Bible. And so if you turn, if you actually split your Bible in half, you might get pretty close to the book of Ecclesiastes. It comes right after the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And the word Ecclesiastes actually means gatherer or teacher or preacher. And so he's this teacher, preacher, gatherer, and he's sharing some observations that he has about life, which is interesting because, in a sense, that's what I do every single Sunday. Or anytime anybody's standing up here speaking, they're just giving you observations uh, through the lens of God's Word about everyday life. And there's something to be gained and, and gathered and learned from this book. And so these are my personal observations through the lens of Scripture. And uh, you have access on the Internet to multiple teachers and gatherers and pastors and preachers where you can gather all kinds of information. But Solomon has his own unique style. And we're going we're gonna to look at the book. of We're going we're gonna to just breeze through it real fast this morning. Okay, So hopefully if you have it with you and you're ready to do that, we'll, we'll jump into it. Here's something interesting, though. The word for church or ecclesia means the gathering. And so we are the gathering here to hear from the gatherer, which I think is pretty cool. Like we gather together. You know, we have a gathering. How did the gathering go this way? How is church? You know, we gather together to receive what it is God wants us to hear. Now, I take a chance every single Sunday morning. It's like, I, this is what I feel like I, I want to share, and hopefully they'll receive from it. But I also know that God's Word is powerful, so you might hear something completely different than what you hear come out of my voice. You may read something, you may be impacted by something that, uh, that is why you were here today. Like, you gathered here for a purpose, and you're going to hear something that God has for you. So that's our, that's our desire when you come to this assembly, if you will. Brief summary, real quick, the book of Ecclesiastes. There's two phrases that are repeated over and over and over again in this book. In the King James Version, if you're a King James person, if you grew up in the King James Bible, you're going to hear the word vanity. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. Another way of looking at it is all meaningless. Just everything is meaningless. Like, what is the purpose of this? I was thinking about this yesterday when I was bagging up leaves. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Why am I doing this? This is not fun. I do not enjoy this at all. My wife bought me this really cool thing that sucks the leaves in, mulches them up, and like makes them really small. That's kind of fun. It's like vacuuming your, your uh, yard. So I got some enjoyment out of that, like at least being able to do something useful. But I'm like, sweet, what, what is the deal? Like, why can't the leaves just stay on the trees? I mean, why do they have to fall off? I don't know. You don't have to bag them. <laughs> you can mulch them, that's right. Or you can just... Blow them into the neighbor's yard. <laughs> I, I saw Justin's mom today, who, was, who her yard's immaculate. I saw Justin's mom the other day, and she was sweeping leaves. I'm like, what are you sweeping those leaves in your neighbor's yard? She's like, yes. <laughs> she, nobody lives there. <laughs> Actually, she was cleaning up their yard. She was a pretty amazing lady. 
So you're going to hear this word meaningless in, in uh, the, the uh, Christian Standard Bible, the one that I, that I got a couple weeks ago. It, it comes out as futile, just futile, utility, means the same. This book is, um, you'll see this phrase a lot, uh, under the sun, everything under the sun. And we'll see, we'll, we'll begin to realize that, that, uh, that the temporary nature of worldly things under the sun are really kind of meaningless. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we put so much emphasis in, so much time and energy in, they really aren't, they're not eternal. They really don't bring us as much satisfaction and joy as we think they should or could or would. But we realize that they're all temporary, they're all human, and they're all meaningless. And we'll see that in the writings of, of Solomon in this book. Here's, here's the thing. All man's efforts to find happiness apart from God are without result. That's, a, that's just a brief summary of the whole book. All man's efforts to find happiness apart from God are without result. And Avery can testify to that. I'm proud of her. I'm proud of her. We've, she's talked about it. She said, you know, like, try to find happiness and all these other things. Apart from the one who created you, it's meaningless and futile and vanity. So here we go. Let's look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Obviously, we're not going to read the whole thing, which, you know what? You can read the whole thing in your own time. But it, doesn't take that, it doesn't take that long to read the whole book. It's 12 chapters. We're just going to just dig in to just, we're just taste a little bit of it today. So, starting right at the very beginning, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So, the gatherer, the preacher, and it says actually in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So, we know who it is that wrote it. He's the son of David, king in Jerusalem, of Solomon. Absolute utility, says the teacher. Absolute utility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all of his efforts that he labors at, at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. It returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south and turning to the north, tur turning, turning, goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. That's probably what I should have done. I just let the wind take care of the leaves. God give it, God take it away. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. You ever thought about that? Your eyes are never full, and your ears are never full. What has, what has been is, is, that, is what will always be, it says. And what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. But at Apple's in Hopefully they're, they're thinking that you're going to think that's not true, so you can buy the next new phone. Can anyone say, or can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before, those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. It sounds pretty depressing, doesn't it? It's like, man, like, what is the point? And this is what he says. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen 
all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile in pursuit of the wind. And so he just, he just says, I have, I have explored these things, I've seen all these things, and the conclusion of the matter at the end of the book is going to bring it all home. But let's look at what it is that he observed over this time. Let's, uh, let's go right to uh, chapter 1, verse 18. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Just turn on the news. Just look at www.fillintheblank. And the more that we know, the more sad the world around us becomes. Is that, you know, see that? I see that. And also, it doesn't mean that we don't see good things, too. Yeah, we do see that. But the more that we know, the more that I understand about certain things going on in the world, the more it just the more sad I become. And sometimes I don't even want to see it. Look over chapter 2, verse 10. He's talking about the emptiness of possessions. Solomon didn't deny himself anything. He had everything that the world had to offer, all of the best of the best. And all the things that were going on then, listen, they're still going on today. Nothing's changed. Nothing's new under the sun when it comes to that. And in verse 10, he says, All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. And this was my reward for my struggles. There's this sense of, you know what? I've, I've had some tough stuff going on in my life, or I've, I've really worked hard, and you know what? I deserve these things. I deserve all the best things the world has to offer. But when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found that everything to be futile in pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. I heard a guy talk one time about... Uh, Particular famous person that had a had a serious serious addiction, and I won't tell you what the addiction was. But the but the, the sad part about the whole story was is no matter how much this person had of this particular thing, it was never enough. Never enough. He always needed one more. Always one more. Solomon said, I look at this and I see that it's an empty pursuit. There's nothing to be gained from this. Nothing. I had all these things, but there's nothing to be gained. Look on down to 2, verse 18. Maybe you feel this way. I hated all my work, and I labored at what I labored at under the sun, because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And one who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, who knows? Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This, too, is futile. You do all this work. You build up a, a reputation. You maybe build up a clientele. And then, you know what? You're going to be gone. And the next person is going to come. What is he going to do with what you worked so hard for? You know, teachers, you work so hard. You build up these students. And then it's your time to retire. Or is the next teacher going to come and take good, as good a care with them as you did? You know, someday I won't be the pastor of this church. Is the next pastor that's going to come? Is he going to love you the way that I love you? Is he going to be holy? He's a better leader than I am. But all this stuff that I'm working for, if it's earthly, then it's meaningless. But if it's eternal and it lasts forever, see, there's the difference. 
So you think about that. Like, I did all this work. Who's coming after me? I can't take it with me. Look at verse 24, chapter 2. There's nothing. This is a glimpse of hope. There's also some real hard stuff here, but then all of a sudden you get a little glimpse of hope here. This is what it says. Verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy this word. I have seen this even from God's hand. Because we can eat and we can enjoy life versus how can we eat and enjoy life apart from him? For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. Living that is futile. That's the point. But it says that for the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. What can we enjoy apart from that? And then there's this famous, in chapter 3, look at this famous passage of Scripture. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. How many of you heard that before? You know, on and on and on. A time to give birth, and there's a time to die. Time to plant, and time to uproot. You know, and on and on. Look over chapter 3, verse 9. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has put also eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work of God, or the work that God has done from beginning to end. Like there is no way that we can comprehend what it is God has, has done, and what he is doing, what he will do. There's no way our minds can fathom that. But he has done something unique in all of us that's different then I think that in animals, God has placed eternity in our hearts. Every single human being, I guarantee you, no matter where they live, where they were born, where they died, whatever, every single human being has asked this question, what happens to me after I die? Amen. Every single human being. Now listen, as Americans, as, as you and I sitting here in this room, we have the benefit of hearing the truth about what we believe happens after you die. Okay? We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. But there are some people that maybe have never heard the name of Jesus, the way you hear the name of Jesus spoken at church in this particular gathering, but, but no, man is with, no man has an excuse to say, God didn't reveal himself to me. And God has made himself clear to me in one form or another. For one, he created you with a longing for something more than this life. Because if you think this life is all there is, if this is it, then we are sad people. Because there's more to this life, right, than just this life. He created a longing for us to know what is next, what is coming next after we pass away from this place. Look at chapter 4, right at the very beginning. Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to come I don't know about you, but when I see stories and pictures and images of suffering children, it wrecks my heart. But you know what it does? It actually just paralyzes me because I feel like, what, am I, what can I do? What can I do? I mean, I'm just one person here on earth. I'm one person in Platte City, Missouri. I see the picture of a little kid with nothing to drink. I can't find that one little kid giving something to drink. Right? So does that mean we should do nothing? 
Does that mean? Yeah, amen. That means we should do something. At least do something with the people God puts in front of us. When we see those who are under oppression, there's something that we can do at that particular moment. It's within our power, it says in, in the Proverbs, that we should do something about it. Are there other people hurting in other parts of the world more than in Peru? Sure. But for us that we're standing on the stage next summer, we'll at least have an opportunity to relieve their suffering in some form or another. You know, were there, were there other kids that Trisha and I could have adopted in the world? Millions. Millions. But these are the ones God put in front of us. We could do something about it at that particular time. He says, I see the oppression, the tears of those who are being oppressed, and they have no one to comfort them. Go on down a little bit. Chapter 4. And there's a subtitle in my Bible that says, The Loneliness of Wealth. He said he saw a man who, uh, this is kind of a sub, I'll just paraphrase. He said, I saw this person who had everything, but yet they were lonely and they had nothing. They were all alone. And this is the famous passage that gets read at most weddings. Look at verse uh, 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return or a reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. If either one falls without another, to lift him up. Wasn't it awesome that Avery was standing here, but she wasn't alone? Because she had someone there to lift her up. Also, two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist them. The cord of three strands is not easily broken. I wrote off to the left side of my, my, my passage of scripture here this phrase, we need each other. In the gathering, in the body of Christ, we need each other. You cannot and should not try to do it on your own. You've got to live in community, and we need one another. You can have all the wealth of the world, but if you're alone, you have nothing. And in Scripture, it says that we are better together than we could be on our own. And we need each other. Look at chapter 5. Little advice when it comes to coming into God's, into the gathering. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience, to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you on earth, so let your words be few. Some of you are like, Pastor, you need to pay attention to that passage for sure more often. Let your words be few. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than to vow and not fulfill it. I wrote off to the right of my Bible, just do it. Whatever God's asking you to do today, just do it. Don't wait. Don't say, oh yeah, I was going to give and help the mission team, but I just kind of forgot. Just do it, all right? I was going to volunteer and serve in the nursery. Just do it. I was going to help out um, in the parking team. I was going to do these other things. I was going to go and volunteer at treasure chest. Whatever it is that you feel like God is calling you to do, just do it. Don't wait. If you wait, you won't do it. If you put it off, you won't do it. If God is calling you to a particular task, just do it. Do it. Guard your steps when you come. Come in with reverence. We don't dress up like people used to, because I think that, got, that became the point. It's like what we could, we could look like when we came into church. 
but it's more about your heart condition. When you walk into this place, come in with your heart ready to receive and ready to give and be generous. Speaking of generous, look on down in chapter 5. The realities of wealth. The one who loves silver is never sad. This is verse 10, chapter 5. I'm sorry, verse 10, chapter 5. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money is not evil. It's how we use it and the love for it. When we need it, we have to have it. Look at verse 12. The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich person permits him no sleep. The more stuff we have, the more stuff has us. Look at verse 13 in chapter 5. There is a sickening tragedy I've seen under the sun, wealth kept by its owner to his harm. You know what I think it's telling is? To be generous. If you have it to give, then give. Matter of fact, I've said this before, you can't afford not to give. Because there's such an incredible blessing that comes when you literally learn to trust him with your possessions instead of holding on to them for yourself. There's such a huge blessing that comes Look at verse 6, or chapter 6, very first verse. Here is a tragedy that I observed under the sun, and it weighs heavenly on humanity. God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. You know why he doesn't get to enjoy them? Because he held them all for himself. And he wasn't generous with them. He didn't, he didn't help the people around him. That God put in his path to help. He said, no, these are all for me. No, this is mine. I need this for me. I, pro I promise you, my, my friend, I had a conversation with my friend before service. And he said, uh, challenge people. Encourage them. Test this out. <laughs> it was a great description. I love the way you described it. It was almost like you draw a line and say, okay, God, you cross this line, and let's see what happens. God's saying, you cross this line when it comes to generosity, and just see what happens. Watch me pour out my blessing upon you. Watch me take away the worry that you have in your finances right now, because you're too consumed by that stuff. That's a, that's a giving message right there, wrapped up right in the middle of this. But he said it's a tragedy. God doesn't let him enjoy him because he's holding it on to himself because he's not being generous with him. And, and Solomon says, what a tragedy. You may think, well, it's easy for Solomon to say this, but Solomon had everything. He had more than enough. You know what? Everyone's broke at their own level, by the way. You can have a million dollars to be broke. Especially if you're not investing in the right way and not being generous. You get $5 in your bank account and be the richest person in this room. Possible. Okay, let's move on. Chapter 7. A good name is better than fine perfume. At the end of one's death, it's better than the day of one's birth. <laughs> and the day of one's death is better than 
day of one's birth. I mean, if you think about that, it's like, man, that seems kind of sad, but reality is, is that, man, once we're born, we start to die. It's a burden. Life can be a burden. It can be an incredible journey. It can be beautiful, too. Now, listen, apart from God, death would be the biggest burden of all. But when we know him, to live as Christ, to die as gain. A good name is better than fine perfume. What's your reputation? What do people say about it when they think about it? Chapter 7, verse 15. Avoiding extremes. In my futile life, I've seen everything. I've seen everything, he said. Someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness, and someone wicked lives long in spite of his evil. You ever feel that way? It doesn't make sense. Why are people, if they're such a mess, they just continue to just get away with it? If people are so good and doing such incredible things, why do they die? It doesn't make sense. It's mean, it's futile. It's, it's so hard to understand. And he goes on to say, don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? You know, don't think you have it all figured out. Make sure everybody else around you knows that. You know someone that when you have a conversation with them, they are like so righteous and so spiritual, you feel like, man, I don't even know how they got there. There's no, I can nowhere, I can't get anywhere close to that. And I feel unworthy for some reason. I feel like, man, that person is so full of themselves. That's the kind of person though, that knows, has all this knowledge, but yet doesn't do good for the person that's right in front of them. Instead, they say, well, I know I could bless you, but I'm just going to pray for you while I'm over here. <laughs> Instead of being able to do something about it right then. Don't be that way. <laughs> Wisdom, this is verse 19. Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city. Verse 20, chapter 7. There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. Can I get an amen there? Yeah, because it's reality. It's true. No one is righteous. No, not one. We're all kind of in the same boat when it comes to Richard Porter. All right, let's move on. Chapter 9, verse 10. I love this. this. is just a great little word for you right now. Whatever your hands find to do, okay? So whatever it is that you are doing, you heard, you heard all, all different things up here. You're cleaning carpets. If you're going to school, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your strength. Because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Basically saying, there's after you're gone, it's over. It's too late. But while you're here, man, work hard. Right, Josh? Don't you want some people to show up to work on your crew, to work hard, to be honest, and do a hard day's work every day, or just like one day a week? Yeah, every day would be good, right? Yeah, that's what your expectation is. If you own students, teachers, don't you want your students to show up prepared, ready to work hard every day? You know what it's called? It's called grit. You have grit. Are you passionate to persevere, to not give up in whatever it is that God's called you to do? If not, I challenge you to go there. Be the best that you can possibly be. If you're a sixth grader, be the best sixth grader you can possibly be. If you're a senior in high school and you don't want to be in school anymore because you think you got it all figured out, I encourage you to take a step back. <laughs> Enjoy the time that you have. But work hard at whatever it is that you're doing. If you're a cheerleader, cheer hard. All right? You don't want to half-hearted cheerleaders out there. Okay, go Pirates. No. Speaking of the Pirates, they're going to stay. 
Somewhere close. <laughs> One more game. Try it. Moving on. Chapter 10, verse 4. If ruler, if the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. For calmness puts great offenses to rest. Ooh. Listen. There are people who say hurtful things to you, and they're mad or angry, and you have a chance to respond. You got a gasoline a jug in one hand and a gas or a water jug in the other hand. Which one are you going to use? Which one? Because in Romans chapter twelve, it says that we should remain at peace with everyone if it's possible for us, and we should let God avenge, and we shouldn't take it into our own hands and try to say, "Oh yeah, well, what about this?" Don't go there. Don't go there. For calmness puts great offenses to rest. Husbands and wives, we can all learn something from that. Chapter 11, verse 5. Just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. You don't. You don't know what God is doing. You might be going through a really difficult time. You don't know how God's going to fix this, but he's going to. He's in the middle of it. You don't know how babies being formed together in his mother's womb, but it happens, right? I mean, we're all standing here, right? It happened for us. You may not know the work of God who makes everything. We're almost done. Look at chapter 12. Oh, wait a minute. Can't go there yet. Look at 11.9. This is great. Look at all you young people. Picking on you a little bit today. Rejoice, young person, while you are young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth, and walk in all the ways of your heart and in the desire of your eyes. But, yes, Malin, but know that all of, for all of these things, God will bring you to judgment. No, that seems harsh, but listen, you may be feeling like, man, I got life all figured out. It's all in front of me. It's going to be awesome just doing my thing. It's going to be great. I'm going to follow my heart, all the desires of my heart, what my eyes see I want. Okay, go ahead. But here's the deal. You're going to stand in judgment for that. All of us. God will bring you. He will ask you, what have you done with what I've given you? As a matter of fact, the, the encouragement is, is because you are young, you have more energy and more opportunity and more resources than some of us have ever had. And so make the most of the time that you have being young. Because if you read on in chapter 12, it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, it's a bummer getting old. I just don't delight in it. Enjoy the time that you have. Make the most out of today, young people. Because the day of adversity will come. And then if you read on in chapter 12, we're not going to read all of it, but there's some incredible imagery. As we get older, and as our, the prime of our life is past, and we're getting closer to the end. And speaking of the end, we're almost there. Look at chapter 12, verse 9. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. 
The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of true accurate or truth accurate. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are firmly embedded nails. I love it. You know, just kind of encouraging us on and driving the point home here. The sayings are given by one shepherd. You know who that shepherd is? It's God Himself he gives us His wisdom. But beyond these, my son, he warned, there is no end to the making of many books. Much study wearies the body. And all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act of judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. My notes in my Bible says this, there's no need for the righteous, for those who belong to Christ, to fear that day. When we stand before God and we give an account for all that we have done, even the things that we've done that did not bring him honor, they will magnify God's amazing grace in our life. When we see what Jesus was willing to do for us in spite of who we are, in spite of all these meaningless things that we pursued in life, when we get to that place where we're standing before the Lord and God shows us his incredible grace, you will be blown away by his love for you. It will make more sense then than it does now, but don't wait till then, please, to start living for him. But living a life that is incredibly adventurous of faith and doing the things that God is calling you to do right when he's calling you to do them. Don't wait. Take advantage of being young. Not to just do whatever you want to do. You can do that if you want. And you can suffer the consequences of it too. Because all of us that are a little bit older, we can tell you the stories of what that looks like. Every single one of us. But you can make the most of this day. Because the conclusion of the matter is this. When it comes down to the end, do we fear God? Are we walking in obedience? Are we walking in his grace and his mercy? Because here's the practical, practical application, and then we'll, we'll be done. If you are on the worship team, we're going to do a song for you. Come on up. There's a guy named David Platt, who's an incredible teacher and pastor and author. And his study notes on this particular uh, book of Ecclesiastes, he says this, the practical application of this book, I want you to hear this, listen, is to enjoy the blessings of God today, to fear him, to obey his word, invest your life in what really counts. You hear that? Invest your life in what really counts, what will last forever, not just in the things for this moment. Thankfully, we have the opportunity to look at this book through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stay with me. Death is the ultimate equalizer for all mankind. All of us are going to die. No matter how much you possess on this earth, or how little you possess, in the end, the scales will be even. And we're all going to die. And listen, if it's not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for the fact that he conquers death and we win in the end because of the resurrection, if that's not true, then our faith is meaningless. And our gathering here this morning, meaningless. You giving to bless those going on this trip, meaningless. If it's not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have hope after this life. You hear what I'm saying? It's all meaningless.
He's nothing. But however, if it's true, it means everything. Everything. And this life lived for him is worth it. The sacrifices you make to live for Jesus, the things you have to say no to, the things you have to say yes to, all worth it. Every single one of them. And if you want to see the blessings that come, and you live that way, then I want to encourage you to do something. I encourage you to close your eyes right now. I didn't, I didn't think about it reverse this. I didn't think about this at all until now. I just want to kind of want to see where you're at today. I just want you to, if you've never put your hope and trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life that he offers you both here today and life eternally, if you've never done that, just with your eyes closed and your head down so that you're not looking around, but would you be bold enough just to put your hand in the air right now and say, I've never done that. I've never put my hope in Jesus. Amen. We've got two honest people in there, maybe three. Today is your day. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the right where you're at, say, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, call upon me. I ask that you would rescue me from me. You forgive me of my sin and you cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I believe, just confess with you, I say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Lord and my Savior. And I believe, even though I didn't witness it with my eyes, I believe in my heart that God who raised Jesus from the dead so that not only did he experience life after death, but now because of my faith in you, I can experience life too. And I don't have to fear death any longer because of my hope and trust in you. That's you today. I want you to I want to encourage you to make, let somebody know you made the decision today. You can get real bold, and you can come up and you can tell me in front of everybody. Or you can tell me afterwards. But you know what? If Jesus wasn't willing to deny you. Don't deny him. And then um, this is the last piece I want to do. I want to. I'm going to do this. If you have heads, heads bowed, eyes closed, I want you to just, I want you to just put your hand in the air. If you, if you're here this morning and you have, uh, you just confess that you put your hope in things of this world more than you put your hope in Jesus, and you've been holding back. You haven't been as generous as God has called you to be. You haven't been um, walking in faith the way God is calling you to be, even though you know it. In here, but you haven't been walking it out. You just be willing to just put your hand in the air. Yeah, a lot more people, several people. So, Lord, right now, I pray that you would challenge these people. That you would, you would draw the line and say, step over and just see. Would you just see what I would do in your life? You would just trust me. And you leave all the meaningless things behind. You would walk with me. Baby. I don't know exactly what that looks like. We don't have a list of five things that you've got to do. God will put that on your heart. When he calls you to do it, just do it. So as we worship, however you want to respond, 
if you uh, didn't pick up a day of hope box and you want to pick up a box and there's a, a flyer that goes with it so you can pack a box and bring food back uh, the next couple of weeks, I encourage you to do that as a, as a form of an invitation. Just so you need prayer, confessing, and talking about something. So why are we here?